Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we may rejoice at the opportunity to gather for in-person worship again with most of our congregation. For about 18 months, we have faced restrictions on the public worship of God. At times, we were very limited in our opportunity to come together. We have learned what a blessing it is to be able to come together as church to worship God. During his life, David too faced times when he was restricted from going to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple. There's a period of times when David, a period of years when David, when Saul sought to kill David. There are also times when David led Israel's troops in war against their enemies. During those times, David missed the worship of God. And so he begins this psalm by saying, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. David's heart rejoices at the opportunity to go to God's house, to come into his presence. He delights in, worship, in gathering with his fellow believers to worship God. How is that with you, dear brother, dear sister? With more regular opportunities to come together for worship, is your heart glad? Do you delight in coming into God's presence to praise and glorify Him and to hear the gospel? Are you eager to join your brothers and sisters so that together we may worship God? Given all that has happened in the past 18 months, perhaps not all of us are eager to gather for in-person worship. Some may have concerns about in-person worship due to their health circumstances. It could very well be a legitimate reason for not assembling in worship. But what about the rest of us? Do we at times stay away because we find it more convenient to sit on the couch with a coffee and listen to the live stream? Are we reluctant to gather with brothers and sisters because relationships have been strained due to different perspectives on COVID? Do we still understand God's call not to neglect to meet together, but to joyfully gather in the worship of God? It's easy for us to come up with excuses not to gather in worship. But usually our excuses come down to one thing. We put ourselves and our needs and desires in the center. Our text teaches us that true worship must be focused on God. To worship, we need to turn away from what we want and put the attention on the Lord. You see, beloved, God has created us for His glory our chief purpose in life is to praise and glorify Him. We have been redeemed so our hearts would be filled with thankfulness for God's grace and that we would express that in word and deed. Worship is the most important thing that we'll do this week, this month, this year. It's our reason for being. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. 
David delights in going to the house of the Lord to worship him. He calls us to rejoice in gathering to worship God and to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122 has as title a song of ascents of David. The songs of ascent were psalms that God's people sang on their pilgrimages to Jerusalem. What's remarkable about Jerusalem, and especially the temple, is that it was situated on the top of a high hill. No matter what direction the Israelites came from, at a certain point in time they could see the dwelling place of God far off in the distance. To get to it, they had to pass through a valley. They had to go down and then up again towards the house of the Lord. Three times per year, the Lord commanded every male in Israel to appear before him in his house. Most often, the men took their wives and families with them. They went to the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate their pilgrim feasts. They went to remember the Lord's mighty deeds in delivering them from Egypt and giving them Israel as their own inheritance. They went to present the first fruits of their land as gifts of thankfulness before the Lord. As they traveled, their hearts were full of joy for all the Lord had done for them. And so they went up to Jerusalem singing their praises to God. Our text reflects this. The psalmist remembers how it was when he set out to go to worship God. Others around him were planning to make the trip. David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Many Israelites would have had to travel a week or so to get to Jerusalem. They faced a difficult trek, but it was certainly worth it. They were overjoyed in going to worship the king in Jerusalem. It was under King David that Jerusalem had been conquered and made the capital of Israel. David had brought up the ark of God to Jerusalem. Already in Deuteronomy 12, Moses had commanded the Israelites not to worship God in their own way. He commanded, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. In David's day, the Lord still dwelt in the tabernacle. Yet Solomon would build the temple as the dwelling place of God Most High. Psalm 122 speaks of the pilgrims arriving in Jerusalem. They finish their trek and state, Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Together with many others, they have arrived. There were throngs of people gathered to worship God. The psalmist records his impressions of the city. He says, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. Jerusalem was indeed a well-built city. Located on a high hill, it was nearly impregnable from a military perspective. High walls gave this city a strong defense. The city itself was also constructed well. Later in Scripture, we hear Jesus' disciples speaking about Jerusalem in an admiring way. They said, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Yet what stands central in Psalm 122 is the function of this capital city, Jerusalem. The psalmist confesses that it is Jerusalem 
to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Jerusalem was the worship place. It was where God had caused his name to dwell. Therefore, it was a place where people from everywhere gathered, the worship center for all Israel. Jerusalem also had other functions. It was where the king resided. David built his palace in Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem also became the city where justice was administered to all who sought judgment before the highest courts in the land. Our psalm reflects that. It says, There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. God's king ruled from Jerusalem. It's where he administered justice for God's people. It was not the fact that the king reigned in Jerusalem or that justice was administered from there that gave this city its importance. What made Jerusalem prominent was the fact that it was the religious center of Israel. It became the political and judicial center because it was the religious center. It's where God commanded his people to come together to worship him. It's where the tribes gathered. The worship of the Lord their God was what united them. Prior to David's time, there was much fighting between the 12 tribes. At times there was even war between them in which thousands were killed by the sword. But when they worshipped and prayed and sang together, their old prejudices were wiped out. They realized that although their blood ties were strong, the ties of a common faith were even stronger. They were the tribes of the Lord. Together they praised the name of our God. Perhaps you don't realize, beloved, how strong the bonds grow when you worship God together. What unites us today is not a similar ethnic background or a common socioeconomic status. We don't need to agree on the severity of COVID or on whether the government has managed this health crisis well. What unites us is that we belong to the Lord, that we have a shared faith in our triune God. It's our common worship of God that bonds us together also today as communion of saints. King Jeroboam understood that very well. After Solomon, he was granted the kingship of the ten tribes. And he quickly established the worship of golden calves in Dan and in Bethel. You understand why? Because otherwise the people would continue to worship the Lord together in Jerusalem. And they would likely be reunited under the kingship of David's son, Rehoboam. It is our shared faith, our shared worship, that bonds us together. Beloved, if we look at ourselves as individuals, there are many differences among us. Some are older and some are younger. Some adapt well to change, others don't. Some are more intelligent or educated than others. 
Some have received much more in the way of material blessings, others less. Some of us are much more competitive. Others among us are more laid back. You wonder how so many different people could be united in anything. Yeah, beloved, there's some basic ways in which we're all the same. In the important things of life, we are no different from one another. We've all been made by God. As our creator, he has a claim on each of our lives. We are all sinful people. Every one of us stands in need of God's grace. We're all dependent on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to save us from our sins, to deliver us from the mastery of Satan. By ourselves, not one of us could make it through life. We need God's Spirit to change us so that we desire to know God and love Him and serve Him. God knows our need. That's why He directed His people to worship Him. For we can never find the solutions to all the problems and issues that face us in life and ourselves. The root of all our trouble and sorrow is ultimately sin. And the answer to sin is found in Jesus Christ alone. So we need to seek him, to desire him, to find life and salvation and comfort in what he has to offer. Psalm 122 records the central reason why God's people gathered in Jerusalem. It was to give thanks to the name of the Lord. We do well to remember that. So often we approach our worship services from the wrong perspective. We'll focus on the sermon, how good or bad it was, what we got out of it. It is important that we get fed through the preaching of the gospel. But please remember, beloved, we gather in worship to praise and glorify God. Worship's not about us. It's about our God. It's not ourselves, our egos, our needs or desires that are central. God is the real center of our lives. It's God's name, God's will and God's glory that should be the focus. If we only worshipped when we felt like it, the church would regularly be less than half full. Yet again and again, the Bible calls us to worship the Lord. Psalm 29 commands us, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Psalm 95 utters this call to worship. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Hebrews 10.25 urges us not to neglect to meet together 
as is the habit of some. Some don't come or don't come regularly because they don't feel like it or because it's too much effort or because other things have priority in their lives. Beloved, if we only acted when we felt like doing things, there are many important things in life that we're called to do that would never get done. Feelings will not always bring us into the presence of God. Rather than try feel ourselves into a new way of acting, we need to act our way into a new way of feeling. The act of gathering in worship helps develop new feelings in us. Coming into the presence of God will change us. If you come to worship the Lord with a humble attitude and a teachable spirit, you will not leave church in the same way you entered it. You'll always leave richer. You've engaged in the most important thing any creature can partake in. You've praised and glorified the name of God and pondered on his mighty deeds. It's a true source of life, of joy and comfort. I came across a saying that we North Americans tend to worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. There's a measure of truth in that. It's easy for our work to take priority in our lives. We often work hard at our play. Leisure and recreation consume a lot of our time and energy. Yet we easily play at our worship. We treat it casually. We don't always make adequate preparations for it. Getting to bed on time the night before. Making sure that our sins are confessed. Having the right attitude when we approach God. Beloved, you can attend church regularly and yet never truly worship. You can sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But if your mind is not on God, you're not worshiping. A sermon can be preached, but if you're not considering what the Word of God says about Him and how that applies to your life, the seed falls on hard ground. It will not bear any fruit. God can only be worshipped in spirit and truth. With heart and mind, we need to be involved. Giving honor, showing respect, adoring and praising our triune God for who he is and all he has done for us. Beloved, let our attitude be that of the psalmist. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Things are well with us when we rejoice to come into God's presence to praise and worship him. Brings us to our second point, and we'll see how David also calls us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. After focusing on the function of Jerusalem as the worship center of Israel, our psalm continues with a call to pray for Jerusalem. The psalmist encourages us to pray for the peace and the security 
of this city. Why? Verses 8 and 9 of our text make clear the reason. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The reason for praying for Jerusalem's peace and security is that the worship of God may continue uninterrupted. For us, beloved, the worship of God no longer takes place in Jerusalem. The place where God put his name in the Old Covenant has been superseded. With the coming of Christ, there was no longer a need for a physical temple where God dwelt among his people. After completing his salvation work, Christ has ascended into the heavenly temple. He has sent forth his spirit on the church. Where God's people gather in his name, Christ is in the midst of them. And so our prayers are not for Jerusalem, but for the church. It's worthwhile to focus for a moment on what the psalmist teaches us to pray for. We're to pray for peace. The word shalom means to be whole, complete, well. When referring to relationships, it means that things are good between the parties. The prayer for peace is a prayer for a right relationship with God. That we as his people may live in close communion with him. It's a prayer for protection from infighting. A prayer that we as brothers and sisters may dwell together in fellowship. That nothing gets in the way of us as congregation being able to gather in unity to worship and adore our God. We're also taught to pray for the security of Jerusalem. In ancient days there was always the threat of foreign armies coming to oppress God's people. To capture them and make them slaves. The Hebrew word used, shalah means security, ease, or prosperity. And thus we are to pray for God to bless His church, to protect us against the attacks of the devil, this world, and our own sinful flesh. We're to pray for the Lord's care over us, that we may experience the security of belonging to Him, the comfort and the hope this gives We too, beloved, need to continue to pray for the church, for our local congregation, that Christ's lampstand may remain, that by God's grace we may remain faithful, that God works in us powerfully by his word and spirit, so we grow, grow in souls devoted to God, grow in faith in hope, in love. That God's name may truly be praised and adored by us. That he may receive the glory due to his holy name. That we may be preserved on the pathways of life and attain the goal of our faith, life with God forevermore. We also pray more widely that God's kingdom may come. We need to pray for our federation of churches. To pray that we may remain in the truth. To pray that the disunity caused by the COVID situation may be resolved. 
That in our churches we may find unity in our faith in Jesus Christ. We need to pray for the work of mission. That the gospel may continue to go out. So many may share in the grace of the Lord Jesus. We need to pray for persecuted Christians. For those who love God but face calamities and sorrows that threaten their faith. So that we all together one day may be gathered before the throne of God, falling on our faces before Him and the Lamb in joy and glory forevermore. Beloved, we will not experience the fullness of what it means to worship God in this sinful and broken world. But the way has been opened for us to be able to live in communion with God and worship Him. The way has been opened by another pilgrim who traveled to Jerusalem. Jesus did not approach the city with rejoicing. He could not say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Luke 19, 41 tells us that when Jesus drew near to this city at the end of his life, he saw the city and he wept over it. Why did Jesus weep? Luke records Jesus' words. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Jesus wept because God's people did not know him or what he had come to do for them. The Jews thought that for the sake of peace and prosperity, Jesus should be put to death. The high priest Caiaphas said, You people know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. They did not realize how great God's punishment would be on Jerusalem for the people's rejection of Christ. Jesus wept because he foresaw the foreign armies that were coming to ravage and to destroy the city of God. And yet our Lord knew what was required to bring real peace and prosperity for God's people. He understood Psalm 122. Jesus faithfully walked the way of suffering. He endured the cross to grant us true peace and real security. Christ has made the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He has reconciled. He has brought us close to God. So we would be restored in our relationship with him. So that we can worship. That we can glorify. That we can adore our God. Beloved, if you truly understand the gospel, you will not need to be told that you must come to worship God. You'll want to do so. It will be the ardent desire of your heart to come together in communion with God. Psalm 42 expresses this. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 84 does the same. For a day in your courts 
is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. We were created to glorify God. We fell into sin, and that made it impossible for us to do it properly. But God redeemed us and restored us to righteousness and life so we could again worship Him. By His Spirit, Christ gathers us together from Sunday to Sunday that we may praise and adore His greatness and majesty. Beloved, why wouldn't you want to join in? In the life to come, we'll truly experience the peace and security we pray for in Psalm 122. And then we will worship God perfectly. Revelation 7 tells us about the great multitude standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and honor and thanksgiving and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, consider it. If we truly worship God today, we'll join the heavenly multitude, and worship our God forevermore. Amen. If you're able, please rise, and we'll worship God with our songs of praise. We're going to sing together from Psalm 42, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> 